Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends. And I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. friends what is up welcome to the show on today's episode i'm extremely excited to be speaking with my new bud mr joe ortega joe is many things one thing he's known for is being a photographer and he's photographed several of my favorite bands countless in fact at this point he's probably captured some iconic images and moments of some of your favorite bands as well if you're listening to this podcast he's worked with bands and acts such as dashboard confessional amberlin taking back sunday the main thrice and the list goes on and on i absolutely loved this conversation joe is a very passionate and insightful guy it was a lot of fun we discussed many topics including why we should expect things to suck before we get better fitness creativity capturing moments leveling up in life and in our crafts and why the best hidden trick to gaining opportunities might just be being a good person with a strong moral character i think you'll dig it so without any further rambling on the part of my own please enjoy this kick-ass convo with Mr. Joe Ortega. I can't complain here doing the thing. Yeah. Tulsa living Tulsa living. That's right. Yeah. I think I was telling you three years ago is right before COVID my partner and I, Pamela, she has a couple kiddos, but we split 50, 50 and there was a long stretch where we didn't have the kids. So I said, we should just go somewhere. Let's just go to Tulsa. Why not? You know, I haven't been there since I was 18. So let's do it. And we went down there and we just had a blast. We were there for three days, I think. It's a rad. (laughs) It's a super rad spot. I came down here for the first time. I guess it was the second time. First time I came with Memphis May Fire and we were at Kane's Ballroom. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I'd been to Tulsa and that was downtown. But then I came another time, I think maybe like a year after that or something. And I was staying Mm -hmm. downtown and the only exposure I had to Tulsa before that was Kane's Ballroom. And that's historic here. A lot of history. Yeah. And there was this like crust punk festival happening at this venue called the Vanguard. Mm -hmm. And it was rad. There was just, you know, these leather jackets and studs, you know, patches, just skunk punk kids walking the streets, going to a punk festival. And I was like, all right, Tulsa's the move. Tulsa's rad. rad. I like it. That's cool. So was it, was it headlined by the casualties? You know, if it wasn't, it was probably a casualties tribute band. (laughs) A lot of local bands. Yeah. I think it was like, local and regional like they may have had one or two national acts but in all honesty that's kind of how it should be right for a punk festival like make it local make it regional and you know let everyone showcase themselves you pay ten dollars for like an all-day pass to watch 50 bands play for 25 minutes absolutely man yeah that's pretty punk rock i remember when i was growing up i listened to a lot of skate punk but we thought we were punk 
So we would also go see U.S. bombs anytime they would come to town. And I liked the energy associated with that. And if it was a welcoming environment, it was cool. But I don't know, as I get older, I tend to have, I guess, less crusty punk feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It is definitely like a stepping stone of phases. And like, I respect all the bands that can stay in that scene. And, you know, I know a lot of people grow up and grow up with it in there, but I'm with you. I grew up on, you know, no effects, bad religion, melancholy, gutter mouth, you know, that whole scene, whole straight up punk scene. And so I guess it was probably just outside of that, like crust punk stuff, but even that stuff, you just kind of grow out of, but it's a stepping stone to like other stuff that's coming down the pipe, right? Then you start listening to like sunny day real estate. You start listening to jawbreaker, the Atari's MXPX saves the day. And it really just kind of opens up the floodgates for like a lot of other stuff that was going on. One of my most favorite bands ever, I guess, dare I say my favorite band ever is no use for a name. And I think they did a fantastic job bridging Dude, there we oh my Tony's life forever. Like there you go. <laughs> so for those that are only listening and can't get the visual, it's a no use for a name shirt. And that's yeah. such a 90s logo too with the flames. I love it. Dude, when they um, re-released it, I used to have this this shirt many moons ago, and I for some reason don't have it anymore. So when they re-released for the 25th anniversary, I was like, I have to get a shirt. Yeah, it's perfect. That's a great shirt. The only the only no you shirt I have is from Amazon that I bought, and it looks like somebody with like a t-shirt made out of paper, like screened it at home and like mailed it to me for like 15 bucks. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I've, I've awesome. bought a few of those shirts before. Is it the more betterness shirt? I've seen you wearing a it more is. betterness shirt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, rad. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was rad because that's my favorite no use record. I mean, I go back and forth on what my favorite no use record is, but I would absolutely sport a shirt that just has more betterness on oh, it. That's no, rad. Dude, it, like that record cover rules. And yeah, I, I, I just love no use. Cause I think they bridged the punk bands with where like autopilot off was going, where the Ataris were going yellow absolutely. card. Even they yeah. had that sound just right before that sound really took off. So I personally have always loved no use for a name. I, I think they're one of, the best punk bands that I've ever been around. So I guess to bring that whole point full circle is, yeah, you grew up with it. And then I I kind of grew out of it, went more into like the metal emo late nineties, early two thousands. I'm older than a lot of people that appreciate, you know, like the good Charlotte era, I guess that's usually like a big jumping on point for a lot of people like that fallout boy era. Yeah. Um, so I think we're I'm, the same age. I'm, Are you 38? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll be turning 38 this year. So yep, same age. Cool. So yeah, I, I, I feel like I grew up in the best era, honestly. Like I was just on the tail end of all the punk stuff. So I got to see it. I mean, I saw, I saw Green Day in 1994 touring Dookie. Wow. That's rad. That was, yeah, that was like my first exposure and it's been like a crash course ever since. Then, yeah. I mean, and then soon after, you know, seeing Rancid, seeing bad religion in concert and I say concert not shows because they're playing like amphitheaters in like 98 you know like yeah it was production like it wasn't VFW on the floor you know, <laughs> punk yeah, shows not, not like 1982 or something right yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah the so, first time I hey. saw bad religion I think it was warp tour and then I think the second time I saw him was when they went on tour with blink 182 which was at an amphitheater an indoor amphitheater yeah. so that was a little different, but it was cool. I thought that was pretty punk rock a blink to take Bad Religion out as main support on one of their biggest tours at that time, which was supporting Enema. Yeah, well, I think Blink has always done a fantastic job of taking out acts that were 
what they were when Buddha or Cheshire Cat was out. Yeah. And I think they've always given bands an opportunity to shine and, and it's up to those bands, right? To grind it out and yeah. do the legwork to really get to that jumping off point to kind of catapult themselves if, if Blink's taking them out. But you're absolutely right to take bad religion out. These veterans, these guys that have been doing it twice as long as them. But also, I think it speaks to, you know, I, I don't know if you read the Bad Religion book that they put out a couple of years ago. I haven't yet. A buddy of mine got it for me for my birthday. And it's one of the last books I've read, unfortunately, for a long time. But I read that one. And it really just aligns with what you know about them, right? Through the book that they're, they're humble. They try to leave egos aside. They really want to play music, play punk rock music. And I think there's probably a hundred other bands, punk rock bands specifically, that would have passed up that opportunity and said, like, I'm not playing an amphitheater. Yeah. But they did it. But they did it. And how punk rock is it to go and play like an amphitheater? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were such a palatable band to begin with. I listen to Stranger Than Fiction and I hear the parallels with Dookie. It makes sense that that record was catapulted in popularity because of that wave of third wave punk, I guess, sure. the more marketable, palatable version of it. But even in 1998, 2000, some of those songs I thought would fit on the radio, similar sure. to The Offspring and Rancid and Green Day and things like that. That big like 1994 burst, right? Like yeah. Offspring, No Effects. I mean, Punk and Drama came out that year. Dookie came out that year. Weezer came out. Weezer Blue came out. Bad Religions, uh, Recipe for Hate came out. Yeah. Yeah, like just a huge year and it just carries everything over. I agree with you though. I, I think that there was a lot of music that came out in that like mid, early 90s, mid 90s that would have easily have just taken off in like the late 90s. It just kind of weirdly missed the mark. Maybe it was the Nirvana push that kind of kept it on the outside bubble. But yeah, yeah. Going back and listening to it now, it's so good. There's there's not a bad, bad religion record, in my opinion. They're all great. I think you might be right. There's that one, <laughs> I'm blanking on the name of it, but they have a record from, I think it's their second record, their second full-length record from the 80s that's kind of new wave. Have you heard of this? Oh. It's not on any of the streaming networks. Oh, rad. <laughs> <laughs> We're wearing our punk rock shirts. I love it, man. I know what you're talking about. It's the one that they pulled and never got like properly released. Yeah. It's like you can hear it on YouTube. Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's really strange. Uh, I, uh, I've heard a couple of songs from it. So when I was reading the book, I went through and whatever chapter I was reading based on what record they were putting out in the book, I would listen to the record as I was Oh, cool. reading that chapter in the book. It felt like it would have been like a really immersive experience. And while like, I guess it still kind of was, it was just a really good reaffirmation for me that Bad Religion just has such a strong catalog. It's true. Yeah, I was watching their live streams last year, the 40 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, Retrospective, yeah. where they were doing a decade each. If you haven't seen those, they're up on YouTube now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I bought a couple of them. I think, I think I only watched the uh, Process of Belief one. Okay. That was a big record for me when that record came out. That was Great that was record. like their like second or third. That was like their third life as a band, like when they put that record out. It was a really great record for that time. It sounded really good. It was fast. I actually listened to that record yesterday. I was revisiting it while I was lifting. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a great one. I have a lot of good memories associated with it. I was in a band called Game Time and we were on Warp Tour when they were just putting that out. So they were playing a lot yeah. of songs live yeah. from that record, as well as classic Bad Religion. But yeah. So that would have been band. 2002, Two? 2003? Yeah, 2002. I think it was 2002. Yeah, because they were on that year. I don't think they were on 2003, but I'm pretty sure they played the whole thing in 2002. Incredible year. I'm really grateful of the fact that I just got to be a witness to it. I remember the drive through sure. stage was all the rage, but I was still catching a lot of the main stage bands like No Use, Lagwagon. I'm pretty sure No Effects played that year. 
think you're right. Ran- no, Rancid was 2001. I think. Yeah, Rancid was 2001 with me first in the Gimme Gimmies. I remember that. Oh, that and was then, great. Yeah. And then Bad Religion. There was a few other bands on the main stage. It was Alkaline Trio, Something Corporate, and Real League Fish. I just remember <laughs> watching all those bands that summer, crazy summer. But yeah, Process of Belief. That's a fantastic record. What, what a strong record. Yeah, that one and True North are my go-to workout Bad Religion records. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. True North's got a great energy to it as well. Yeah. I think that's kind of an it underrated is. one. I don't hear people talk about that one very often. Oh, I love that record. I think it's amazing. It's yeah. uh, it starts yeah, it starts strong and it stays up like that. It like it just goes like punk blast beat yes. pretty much the whole record. And I love it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I should mention too. I usually mention this at the beginning. My internet's been a little spotty. It's usually actually better during the middle of the day like this, but in the evening, sometimes it can be a little spotty. If I lose you, I'll just hit you up via text and we'll get started right back again. Usually I can just let it run and continue to record it, but play it by ear. Same for you. If something happens, if I or something okay just come right back to it yeah as i say that i just jinxed us it says your internet connection is unstable (laughs) we're getting to that age where technology is turning on us (laughs) yeah i think you're right some days i think i have it figured out i get kind of judgy because sometimes i'll see people from high school and you can tell they just got a smartphone and never used it before (laughs) maybe they had one and they, they just have never discovered how to use anything so they'll start posting on social media And you know how, like when you first started with Facebook, it was what's on your mind and you would literally finish the sentence. Is that red lobster? Yeah. Right. right. I literally see people that I knew 20 years ago that are literally. That's how they're using it. I'm just being really judgmental here, but no, it's fine. I get that way too. I'll get on my high horse about it. And my 12 year old son is like, dad, your flashlight on your phone is on. And it's been on for like an hour. You're a dork. (laughs) Turn it off. And I'm like, I don't even know how it got turned on. Like, sorry, guy. Like, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be the rad dad here. I'm just trying to trying to navigate life. But sorry, my flashlight's on. I'm guilty of that one as well. In my pocket, I wear a black jacket every day to work. And you yeah. can always tell when the flashlight's on. It's just beaming through my jacket. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, we're, we're getting old, man. It's all right, though. I welcome it. <laughs> I just continuously tell myself I'm young in comparison to people who are older than me. Yeah, yeah. It's all relative, right? I, I mean, yeah. I, I know you do a ton of the workout stuff and you're in the fitness game. I think I'm in my best fitness ever. And, and this is coming from somebody who ran like cross country at a D one school. Oh, wow. So I, I, my overall fitness, I, I'm probably 35 pounds heavier now than I was when I was running, but that makes sense. Right. uh, I mean, you probably have more lean tissue on your frame. I mean, we develop more lean tissue as we get a little bit older, but I knew you were a runner. Yeah. I love it, man. Running's great. You know, as much as I love music, the one thing that I I never really crossed over was I, I don't run with music. I have to be completely disconnected no phone no music no airpods nothing like i have my watch to like track my run because if you didn't post it on strava it didn't happen (laughs) that's right or instagram yeah exactly but yeah i love running that's as much as like i love love music and and love listening to music all day while i work or work out running is like the one time where it's like this is the the zone where i where i don't do it i gotta i gotta hear my breathing i gotta hear my my cadence i gotta be in the right headspace for it so it's, it's good to d- disconnect, go out, you know, do some long t- 10, 12 mile runs and yeah, yeah get away absolutely. from it. So that's like a dedicated time of being away from screens, being away from technology, people really, because 12 miles, you're going to be going for hour, hour and a half, I would imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And just, yeah, what kind of day it is. Sometimes I'll go out and do a longer run and just intentionally take it slow. Sometimes I'm going out there and just trying to hit all sub seven minute miles. So it just really kind of depends on the day that I'm out there and running and what I'm trying to do, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, I want to go out there and be intentional and, and disconnect from all of it because as much as, you know, we're all plugged in and we're all trying to stay connected, which is, you know, on the whole, a good thing. It's good to, you know, not be able to be reached. Sure. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, but I like how you're intentionally taking respite from it. I think that's something that I should probably take into consideration because I feel like Wednesdays, I typically work from home. I train in person Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So Wednesday's the day to catch up on everything else, but I find myself just staring at my phone all day (laughs) or a computer screen if I'm doing marketing materials and things like that. Is running therapeutic for you or is it meditative? I listened to your interview with Christy. I've interviewed her as well on this podcast. And I liked how you described running, how in the beginning you have to just expect it to suck a little. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. My girlfriend's getting into this headspace where we're talking about doing a half marathon and and we ran a mile the other day and she's just like, my chest hurts, my lungs hurt, my heart hurts, everything hurts. And it's just like, yeah, that's to be expected. Yeah, That's kind of what comes with all of it. Yeah. I, I would say it's therapeutic. I think above the therapy of it too, I carry this mantra with running. It's a joke, but I'm kind of serious about it too. It's like, if, if you want to know what's wrong, go for a run and see what bubbles up, right? Emotionally, spiritually, physically running just has this way of allowing whatever's unresolved in you to come out the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in a way it is therapy, but in a way too selfishly running has been something I've naturally been good at. Right. So I, I kind of latched onto it because it was the first thing that I did and kind of had some sort of success with. Sure. So part of it's therapy, part of it's, I enjoy being good at things. And running just kind of came to me. But, you know, I was telling my girlfriend, Natalie, running doesn't get easier. You just get faster, right? Like that part where it hurts, that part where it sucks. We all experience that at every level. The difference is that, you know, some people just stick with it and get faster. And so I think if you allow yourself the opportunity to really be within yourself, be within the run, be intentional with what you're trying to get out of it. I think you will look at yourself more in a mirror than you will in almost anything else. And and that's just the experience I've had with it. I know a handful of people who have too, but on the whole, I've also learned that most people absolutely hate running. And the second you start talking about it, they just like start dozing off. Like, I don't care. (laughs) I know people like, I mean, I used to have an allergy to running. I think I'm coming around as I get a little bit older because I want to be a little bit more well-rounded in aerobic shape. Like what you were saying in regards to your fitness level now, I know you lift weights and you do different types of exercises and workouts and things. What you were saying, the idea that running doesn't necessarily get easier, you just get faster. It reminds me of this really great quote that I like from Jim Rohn. He was a self-development guru type before Tony Robbins. I think he mentored some of those people that we all know. Oh, okay. He has this quote where he says, don't wish for it to be easier, wish to get better. And I always like that because I think oftentimes we want to take the path of least resistance, but what Mm -hmm. if we look inward and say, well, okay, this is a challenging thing, but how can I grow to meet it? And you're right. We're anti-fragile beings. So when you place the appropriate type of stress, whether it be mental or physical, sometimes it can have this rebound effect where we grow and and we really improve and it can really 
teach us what we're capable of at the same time. You know, I think when you're running, you're going to find out really quickly what you're capable of. And I think it's a good idea to take it in steps. I'm sure you would recommend if you're, if somebody's coming to you and they're wanting to take up running, you're probably not going to tell them to run a 5k immediately. That's why they have those couch to 5ks, right? You take it in yeah. a sequence. Yeah. You know? Got to take it in steps, yeah. no pun intended, but <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's, I guess just metaphorical for just this pun is intended for the pace of life, <laughs> right? Like you want to go faster than you should. And when you start forcing the point, when you start going outside of what you're capable of, not that you won't reach it, but you know, you're trying to skip the growing process, you know, the getting better pieces of it, the part in my opinion, which really matters you start to get hurt, you start to experience injuries, you start to get discouraged. And I think there's just so many things with running in general that are so transcendent to life. It's really resonated with me. And, and one of the things that really got me to lifting, and I don't post so much about it now as much as I did with the running stuff, is that I lift five days a week now, okay. whether it's light or, you know, I'm really going, you know, to failure. But I had a, a foot injury. I was running the Dopey Challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with the Dopey Challenge. I'm not. So the Dopey Challenge is at Disney World. It's a Thursday through Sunday running event. And you do a 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon on four back-to-back days. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And I love that kind of stuff, right? Endurance, test it, go out there and see what you're made of kind of a thing. And so I just had a very freak accident on the whole thing with about six miles left to go of a 48 mile, you know, endeavor. And so uh, I ended up finishing the marathon piece. I finished in three hours and 30 minutes and I ended up getting a stress fracture on my leg again, not because of like the running, but I had twisted my foot on my ankle on a freak step of the situation. Um, But so I guess to kind of land the plane there, I couldn't run for like four or five months while my leg healed. So I I got a pull-up bar and some weights and I was like, all right, well, I can't just sit here and do nothing. So I backed into, so the, the race is in January and I figured I would train to do the Murph challenge. And so for anyone listening who doesn't, know what the Murph is. It's Lieutenant Murphy who passed away. He was a Navy SEAL. On Memorial Day, they commemorate him by doing his workout. It's a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and another mile run with a 20-pound weighted vest. And I was like, I can't even do a pull-up, but here we go. So <laughs> I just I just dove right in, man. Like I, I altered like how I was eating. I altered you know my whole regiment. And it was eye-opening because all I'd ever really done up until then was running for exercise. And I guess I can bridge it to like the music stuff, right? You grow up with stuff, but then you grow out of it. I didn't really grow out of running, but I learned to incorporate other things that I was doing. I've long been that punk kid of like, no, if it's not, you know, on Epitaph Records, I'm not going to listen to it. (laughs) And it's so ignorant. It's just such a like immature way of being. And I kind of, I was like, that was running up until, you know, two or three years ago. Like I'm good with, you know, all the other stuff because I'm still running sub seven minute miles on, you know, my half marathons and I'm, you know, hitting good paces with stuff. So it's been, it's been quite an experience to still put myself in the student seat of life. Right. I'm trying to not act like I'm trying to not be like I have it all together or that I have all the answers. I still want to be moldable. I still want to be formidable you know, in in anything that life throws at me. And in that particular season, it was not running for four or five months where, you know, I was used to doing it every day. So now I'm working out in the garage five days a week, sometimes six, depending on, you know, what the workload is. And I love it, man. I'm stronger than ever. I'm just as fast as I've ever been. It's not taken away from anything. So it's been, it's been cool. 
That's really cool, man. I love the fact that it didn't impede your running, at least as far as after getting over the injury, right? Because you probably had to take a little bit of time off with a stress fracture, which is common. You know, it happens to people. I love the thing you said about being the student, being open and willing to be student-like, because I think that's something that sometimes when we get a little bit older, we get a little calcified and we don't open ourselves up to learning new things as often. We think we have it more or less figured out on certain avenues. And there's that old stoic quote, you can't learn anything if you already think you know it. I'm sure I'm picturing it, but- Hey, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's not not only callous, you know, as you get older, but like for me, I've just been dying to reach an age where I know what to do, right? Looking to have wisdom. I'm looking to have answers. I've got two kids. I want to be able to provide with them with guidance. And it's such a fragile line to walk. So tricky because while I want to have answers and have lived some life, you don't want to seem shut off to learning. It's easy to think like I have answers. I, I know what to say here. I think one of the most humbling things I could ever do is be in a group full of really smart guys talking about who knows what. And I'm just like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw my hand in the air and I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going <laughs> to mail it in. I'm just like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. So teach me, or I'll just walk away from the conversation because it doesn't interest me, but I just have no interest in pretending like I know it all. And I think a big part of it, just to kind of you know, put it right on the nose here, it's how I've, I've tried to be with like the photography stuff, right? I don't want to come into a situation thinking, I got the formula. I know what to do. That's never what it's about. It's about constantly learning. It's constantly reinventing yourself. It's constantly taking what your peers are doing and understanding that you can learn from them in a direct or indirect way. And maybe they're doing it with the stuff that you're doing. Maybe they're not. You'll never know exactly all the influence that you have. What's important is to put your best foot forward you know, have confidence in the art you put out or, you know, if you're posting about fitness or whatever it is, you go out, you do it with a pure heart and you hope that people react to it positively. And I think one of my most favorite and memorable conversations I had was with Chris Caraba. We were doing some shows in Texas and he took this wildlife out to open on this particular tour. And so me and Chris are catching up. We're in the green room. I'm just hopped on for a couple of days. We heard Kevin from this wildlife singing and Chris just takes this hard right you know, no segue conversation into just genuine people making genuine music, but then also having genuine receivers of music, right? Like that's, you can have all the genuine music in the world with all the genuine songwriters in the world, but if there's nobody there with a pure heart to receive it, I guess, no pun intended, it falls on deaf ears. So (laughs) it's kind of eye-opening to think that, you know, there are people out there putting things out there that could go over your head because you're too into your own self. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I like that art can be the bridge sometimes, you know, for opening the doorway. And I remember the first time I heard Propagandi, you start looking at the liner notes. I don't know what any of this means. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm an 11 year old kid. I found this compilation CD that my older sibling had. So let's take a deep dive here. Or maybe you don't really recognize it until you're in your 30s, right? I feel like I'm revisiting some of those old punk records and I'm looking through the lyrics and I'm trying to actually connect to what they were experiencing then because I think of Tony Sly, late 90s, he was in his early 30s by then. I know mm-hmm. he was 42 and I think it was 2012 when he unfortunately yeah, when he passed. passed. I think it yeah. was 42. <laughs> yeah. So he was dealing with adult stuff. He had couple kids in the mid 2000s. And I like revisiting 
looking through it with that lens as well. But this is a great segue. You're a photographer. We haven't mentioned photography until you mentioned it just now. I think when I first started following you, you were on tour with the main, you were Mm -hmm. on the road with the main. And I know you are very close with those guys. I know Mm -hmm. your career started in large part because of the band Amberlin, because you're friends with Christian. Yep. I'm assuming you knew the acceptance dudes before that, or did you loosely know them or? Okay. No, that was, yeah. That's exactly the dotted line there. Okay, cool. Can you tell me a little bit about that when you first got started? Also, I'd love to know, just for the listeners, just to give context, how old were you when you started your career in photography? Oh, not old at all. So I knew the acceptance guys when they were just putting out Phantoms. Oh, wow. Okay, so you knew them all the way back then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you mention so, to Christy G that you were taking photos of an Amberlin show on their last tour, their farewell tour. Yeah, so I actually didn't pick up a camera until my son was born. So he was born in 2010. And so I want to say the farewell tour was 2014, somewhere around there. I believe that's right. Yeah. I just, you know, I'd been friends with Christian all those years from the acceptance days and we were going to hang and I was just like, Hey, I, I have a camera that, you know, I usually just take pictures of my son with, do you mind if I bring it to the show? And he was like, you know, just more than kind to say, yeah, absolutely. So I brought the camera. I had no idea what I was doing at that point. I was as good as just like any like point and shoot type of photographer. Like I honestly had no clue what was happening. The only thing that I really knew were the Anne Berlin songs. And so I think one of the advantages I had was knowing Christian, knowing the music, knowing moments in the music, knowing moments, him as a player on stage of what he typically does. And so I think the way I kind of backed into photography almost had nothing to do with photography in and of itself. It had everything to do with friends and and friendship, investing in those moments with people that you care about, that you spend time with. And so when something like a camera does fall into my hand, it may not, you know, right off the bat be the best picture I've ever taken, but it's still a moment that seems obvious to me. And Mm -hmm. I think one thing that became aware to me, the more I started to do it thereafter was I had made a lot of friends over the years. Fortunately for me, a lot of them played in in touring bands, having known them from years past. And so knowing the music, knowing the people just really opened it up to these moments within songs, right? Like it's just, you play music so you can appreciate. I, I mean, I played for years too. So, you know, you know, here comes a big downbeat returning from the pre chorus to the chorus, or, you know, here's a bridge where everything falls out. So maybe there's nothing exciting going on here. You'll find a different moment. There's a lot of navigating in the music itself to look for moments when when you're doing photography. And then sometimes, in all honesty, you just get lucky. There's just something that just kind of falls on your lap. And sure. that's the part where, yeah. And that's the part too, where you have to be ready by having learned like the technical side of the camera. And so I had gotten really excited over doing a handful of things And I had seen what other people were doing at the time. And it just, the quality of photo just didn't quite seem to be up to par with what other people were doing. So I invested in better cameras, better lenses, and really took an opportunity to appreciate the learning process of photography on the whole, not just band or music photography, just, you know, landscape, nature, city photography, portraitures anything like that. There's a whole lot that goes on in the photography world. So I wanted to make sure that if I was going to do it or try to do it or put myself in a position to be vulnerable with it, that I would put my best foot forward. And the most responsible thing I felt like I could do at that point was 
actually tried to be a student of photography. So I started kind of backwards with it and then I invested in some better equipment and was like, all right, let's figure out how to actually do this. Yeah, dude, I'm noticing a theme here. There's a huge ROI for you being a student. I really like that. <laughs> That's it's, really cool. Uh, yeah, it's not always easy. It's always humbling, but you know, putting pride aside is huge. And I've learned, I've learned to do that more times putting pride aside that is more times than I'd like to admit. But you take enough life to the chin, you start to realize that maybe you're better off slowing down and learning something yeah. before you, you jump in and, and you sound really ignorant or you do something stupid. Yeah, for sure. I think you do a really great job of capturing those moments. I've always enjoyed your photography. And I like what you said about how the music influences the photos that you capture sometimes. I've never really thought about it that way, but that makes perfect sense. And you've worked with so many of my favorite bands. It makes sense that you're able to capture those moments now that I think about it, because you do know how to anticipate these moments sometimes. And then mm -hmm. sometimes the magic happens and you probably go back and you're thinking, wow, I captured something really special there. I can't wait to show the guys. It makes sense from a practical standpoint, but also just the fact that you're a fan of music. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you would say that there was innumerable opportunities and advantages to just being a fan of music and being able to capture these moments and work for all these different artists and bands and things. I would love to talk for a minute about how great the main is. How did you come into contact with them? Because I remember hearing you mention to Christy that after the Amberlin show, where you started taking some photos for them. You mm -hmm. went out on the road with the main. Was that the first band that you went on tour with or how did that work? Yeah, that was some Warped Tour stuff that was going on there. So I got in contact with the main. It wasn't around when the main opened for Amberlin, but the Amberlin guys obviously knew the main and the main was coming through Austin and somebody through the Amberlin camp. I can't remember. Maybe it was Scott the drum tech, he had put me in contact with one of the guys from the main. And so I met up and they were excited to have somebody out, you know, taking pictures. I was excited to take pictures. And there was just something, I had a very similar experience with them. Like I had with Caraba, where like something just clicked, everything just kind of made sense, fell into place. It just kind of happened naturally out of all of that. And it was them really just being trustworthy and taking a shot on me and you know that moment years ago i think that was like american candy era long before lupe was doing it because lupe their photographer now is god tier photographer like he, <laughs> the things that he does his creativity is is off the charts it's incredible watching that guy do the thing that he does but yeah it was just great and and again i'm fans of those guys you know i'm fans of my friends i'm fans of the music and that part makes it really easy to fall into it and you know, you, you learn the songs, you learn what they do, you anticipate certain things. And I think more than anything, what becomes a challenge after seeing the same show night after night is finding different moments of the show to, you know, highlight or whatever. Yeah. And so it becomes a challenge within yourself to be creative, you know, different angle, different spot, different lens. It tends to get a little challenging, especially with acts that go out and they wear a uniform every night. Yeah. Right. The stage set is the same every night. So that can be a hurdle by itself. So there's plenty of opportunity to challenge yourself in all of that. But I, I think the thing that becomes real special about it, if you care about it enough and you give it some attention, I think the, I guess I keep going back to the word, if you're genuine with what you're trying to put out, I think people receive that in a real way. And the main fans are insane. Those are like some of the most loyal cult-like base, yeah. you know, fans that are out there, you'd be hard pressed to find a more diehard fan base. And their fans were always super nice about anything that was getting put out or on their socials or what have you. It was cool. I think I learned a lot photographing them in general. 
them giving me, you know, just sort of my first all access, if you will. Yeah. And just decided to open it up. They have had a really impressive run. The last four records, I think, are just mm. pop rock at its finest. There's part of me that thinks it's cool that they have this cult-like following and they're still somewhat of an underground band. But I also feel like they should be cult play status, you know, playing <laughs> stadiums and things because they write such incredible songs. And they're an eclectic band too, because if you go through their catalog, there was a couple of more experimental records that I really enjoyed too. And mm-hmm. with the main, this is kind of going on a tangent, but I don't think they get a, a lot of credit for a lot of the newer pop rock, pop punk bands of today, because I think they really ushered in that era and did a lot of different styles of music. That's a band that me and my partner, we've really bonded over. We've seen them four times since we've been together. We've been together for six years. Always a lot of fun. Their shows are a blast. But I was going to ask you, you mentioned a band like that. They do come out, they have the uniforms, they have the same stage and production setup. Does the individual town that you're in and the venue that you're in or the different crowds, does that play a role in what you're capturing too? Does that help differentiate it a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, you get to like a house of blues or something, you know, like when I did some shows with dashboard, it was all like house of blues stuff and every yeah. house of blues is cookie cutter looks the same everywhere. Yeah. Set up. And so, yeah, you, you figure out here, do I just do something from front of house? Do I camp out by the drummer? Do I stay in the barricade area to try to, you know, just get that shot? Yeah. I think each venue presents its own unique perspective in a way to get a different thing. So if you don't always have like a balcony, that tends to be a little exciting just to kind of have like some overhead, like bird's eye view shots that you can't get otherwise. I personally, having grown up in the punk rock background, I love nothing more than a super sweaty, small, crappy venue. I I mean, it's terrible for my equipment because I'm just, you know, lugging around thousands of dollars worth of, you know, camera gear. But I love it. Doing shows with the movie life and just having these like no barricade, barely a stage type venue with yeah. 200 people and everyone's like throwing their bodies all over the place. Yeah. It's amazing. Like that's home for me. That's church for me. Yeah. And it's so fun. But again, that's like the least ideal situation to be shooting because you have no space for yourself. It's like the band on a small, almost non-existent stage and then the crowd. And that's it. There's no backstage. There's no green room. You know, it's not that kind of venue. So you really have to think outside of what you would typically do to find a spot to shoot, find moments to shoot, make yourself available for it. Yeah. It's always a challenge. It's always fun, man. It can be frustrating at times when things just don't fall into your lap and you kind of have to work for it. And some nights it just doesn't click. You walk away with just a couple of things, but you know, you just dust it off because there's going to be more opportunities, but you really have to be more appreciative of just the opportunity in general yeah. that you're a part of it. And that kind of carries you on through through the next gig. Yeah, for sure. Did you do the co-headlining run with the early November? Is that when you went on tour with them or? But no, the movie life one was, ooh, it was right before I moved to Tulsa. That was 2019, maybe. Oh, no, you know what? Yeah, I did do some shows with Ace and, and Vinny. Yeah, it was so... I've done a couple of shows with Ace and Vinny. So they did an acoustic act where they brought out Aaron from Under Oath. Oh, cool. And it was just a three-man acoustic act. So I think Vinny opened, Ace, Aaron played second, and then Ace closed it. And that was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, the early November Movie Life tour, that one was fun. That one was cool. I love those bands so much. Ace is by far one of like the nicest guys on the planet. You won't find a nicer guy. He's just a class act in every way. And Vinny is poor Vinny. I, so I was doing one of the acoustic shows and a long time ago, and I had a website, a logo for my photography. It was predicated off of the Wolverines record. And so the guy who had done it, the mock-up for me, 
he was also a movie life fan. He was like, Hey, I did a mock-up of this thing for your photography, but it's a take on the Wolverines record, but it's instead of like head on, it was like a profile drawing that he did. And I was like, dude, love it. Let's use it. Let's just go with it. It's, it's super awesome. And so after the show, we're having drinks and we're riding in a van from San Antonio to Dallas. And I unfortunately just punished Vinny in this like, I'm a big fan. I love your music. It means so much to me thing. And every time I see him now, I'm like, dude, that was such a bad move. I'm so sorry. You know, like I cornered him in the van and like <laughs> talked his ear off about how big a fan I was. And that's just, you know, it's not, it's not the thing to do, but it's just like the kind of unspoken rule not to you sure. know, paint people in a corner conversation like that. And I did it. I would imagine it's difficult sometimes, right? Vinny seems like an incredibly sweet and nice guy too. I have an acquaintance. She used to come to shows a lot and we were friends back in the day and lost touch, but she passed away and she was a huge movie life fan. And at her memorial, he videoed in and sang a song for her via video. And it was really cool. Oh, that's super cool, man. Yeah. He wasn't paid to do that. I think somebody had reached out to him and he was just like, sure, I'd love to. And he even, yeah. he gave this really heartfelt message. Things are going to be difficult for a little while. We're going to get through this. She was great. And then he just played the song and it was really beautiful. It was really nice. Okay. I have to immediately go out and buy a movie life shirt. I've got to support these guys <laughs> in some way. Yeah. You can probably hear my new puppies barking at leaves or something. Yeah. No, you're right. out really you're I'll yeah, be right back. All right, man. <laughs> Always good for podcasts, right? That's right. I'm back. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, you're good, man. Dog life. Yeah. Kong and peanut butter. It works every time. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you have dogs or a dog? Yeah. A cool. dog. Her Red. name's Abby and she's like 600 years old and she won't die. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, right? She's keeping yeah, us Yeah, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want her to. I just mean that she's yeah. just like so old and it makes no sense. Well, yeah, whatever. We're hanging. Yeah. She just sleeps all day. It's cool. What kind of a dog? It's a little shit too, mix. Nice. Those yeah, little dogs, just... man. Sometimes they're bulletproof. Dude, I'm telling you, she like, and she just chills, like she just sleeps. She's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, give me some food, and then I'll sleep all day. I'm like, man, yeah. that's life. That is the life, right? Yeah. You're not really too worried about a whole lot at that point. <laughs> nah. Yeah. No daily stressors. I definitely want to ask this question because I think it speaks to who you are. I mean, I would imagine if you're going to be going out with, I was looking at the list of bands you've worked for and some of the artists that you've shot for over the short tenure, really. I mean, it's been Mm -hmm. maybe less than a decade, really, of going on the road and things like that. I know you're doing a little less and I want to hear more about that as you're transitioning away just a little bit, it seems. But how important do you think it is to having a solid network and relationship building when it comes to gaining these types of opportunities. Yeah. I almost think it's, it's everything. I don't know if you've heard me say this in previous podcasts before, but often when asked how to get into music photography, you know, the first thing that I almost always say is you just, you want to be a a great person, obviously like, you know, have good character, but also just be a good hang, like just be the kind of person that other people want around, right? And if you offer a skill set like photography, then there's something to bring to the table, right? That's something that you can contribute to the overall dynamic, right? Of the tour, the show, the band, what have you. And I just think that so many people get caught up in this idea that I want to go on tour, want to go on tour, want to go on tour. And you could shoot more bands in your city coming through than you could potentially get a variety of shots doing one tour with one band day in and day out. And while that obviously has its lure of sorts, I think networking yourself in the community of photographers is important. I think networking yourself amongst the bands is important. 
And you have to find that sweet spot in between all of it to create, I guess, a style of your own that stands out without pushing it. And you're selling yourself, right? You're a business, right? You're trying to make money. You're trying to provide a service to bands. You want to have monetary value and you want to be compensated accordingly. And so uh, the networking piece, just like any other job, it becomes so vital in all of it. But the current climate where everything's at these days is if you're left of center, morally speaking, in any way, shape or form, you're out. That's not, that's not the kind of rock and roll world that it is anymore. That's 25, 30 years ago, maybe that flew. But now you really have to be an integral person to contribute to, to what's happening, especially with these bands that have these longevity type careers, you don't want to be the thing that pulls them down or they're associated with it. You want to do it. So it's so nuanced and complicated in the networking piece because so many people are trying to do it. It's such a saturated market, but above it all, it's like making friends, right? You just want to go out. If you really want to be around people, they also have to want to have you around, you know, don't go sitting there punishing bands of like, take me on tour, take me on tour when you know, that's the last kind of person they're going to want to you know, sure. take out, unfortunately. But th- that's the reality of it is that's not really going to get you the gig, right? Like that's not what's going to move the needle for them. So the networking is is so unique to everybody, right? It's a real case-by-case basis of how you do it. Yeah. Some photographers, their work speaks for themselves. Other people, they've known that band since the band was in high school. Other people came across bands like I did, you know, while they were already doing it and I was learning it. But I was fortunately given opportunities, I think in part because I think I'm a good person and I, you know, I like to think I can contribute to conversation and be a good hang. Yeah. So it's like anything else. You just have to adjust in every situation. You can't like dive bomb every situation like the last, if you're trying to network, you have to recalibrate. If you're in the regular workforce, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, you adjust your resume for every job you're applying for, right? Like you, sure. you cater to that. It's just not a straight, narrow thing. Like you just got to bob and weave through all of it. But man, for one band that's out there, there's probably 20 photographers like begging to go on tour or do whatever it is that they want to do. Sure. Absolutely. But I like how you said there's a character element to it. And I think it speaks to your character that you've been able to get along with all these different people. You have to have somewhat of a personality and a good character in order to function within the unit that is a traveling band. And I'm sure sure it can be a bit of a circus and things like that. And there's high stress situations and sometimes things are communicated in less than stellar ways. And you're having to figure things out on the fly. And there's a lot of moving pieces. I train a friend of mine. He's been a tour manager for many years. You might actually know him. His name is Jason Trabio. He's the drummer for the Casket Lottery, and he's worked for a bunch oh, okay. of different acts. But he has given me a little insight into managing expectations for different people while you're out on the road. And a lot of things that you wouldn't expect and a lot of things you wouldn't think about can happen. And there's so many different dynamics as far as other people's personalities. And there's an element of keeping the peace and keeping things streamlined and things like that. Have there been any parallels as far as what you've taken from some of these units as bands? Were there any bands that did business in a way that surprised you and something that you took away? Was there any element of, oh, this band really has their shit together. They really take the time to be intentional about everything that's associated with the tour and from a business sense or a business practice. Yeah, I think one of the most 
I not life changing sounds so dramatic, but I don't even know how else to say it. So I guess I'll just stick with it. it one of the most life changing bands I've worked with was Dashboard Confessional. Chris is as nice as you would ever hope him to be, and then nicer on top of that. But he's a pro's pro, right? He's been around. He's been around for a minute. He's got a tenured career, but his crew they work as hard as he does, right? And that's the company he keeps. And it was a very, I guess, intimidating is the word. It was intimidating going and doing shows with that camp because those dudes are up early. They're grinding, you know, they're not complaining. They're doing their job. Chris goes out, crashes it, his band, flawless, just does it night in and night out. And, you know, they're trusting you for, you know, their social media to have photos of, to me, I, I take a look at almost the blue collar angle of what they bring to the table, right? Just the load ins, the loadouts, the merch, the setup, the teardowns, all of it. And you really don't want, like for me, I don't want to cheapen a photograph by making something look overly glamorous about like a set, but I want a moment that really says we worked to get here and dashboards camp has that they hold themselves to a high standard every day with no excuse and they at surgical precision just execute you know just day in and day out and it was good for me to be around because i wanted to bring that same energy to the table with them and once i was around those guys long enough it made me realize how i wanted to carry myself you know in doing shows thereafter. So it was, I would have to say the dashboard guys really did such a fantastic job of not saying it with their words, but showing it through their actions of what's expected when you're dealing with them and dealing with them, you know, deal with them, you work with them. They're great guys, they're friends, but you're there to do a job, right? You're there to carry it out at as high a level as, as you would with anything else. So I've learned so much through those guys and those guys aren't even photographers, right? They're all tour managers, band managers, stagehands, drum techs, drummers, guitar players, all of it. And you allow yourself to be molded by what they do so well that you want to do your thing so well to match that. And I guess to put a bow on it, one of their old drummers, Ben, we were talking after a show one night and I was saying some of this, the stuff that I was leading on to, it's just like, man, this is insane that I'm here. This is crazy. He's like, no, you belong here. Whatever you think of what we're doing, we think of what you're doing. And that's why you're here. And wow. that was kind of a really cool thing to hear, right? Like I wasn't yeah. fishing for a compliment. I was just like, I think I'm out of my league. And he was like, no, you belong. This is this is an appropriate spot for you to be. And so it, that was cool. And that's resonated with me for, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously even until now. So it, it's such a cool thing to tell somebody that you've worked your tail off, you got there, you did it, and now you belong here. And so it, it was cool that that was said to me directly. That's incredible, man. I'm sure that was validating. Yeah, very validating. Great word, man. It was, that was church that day. You know what I mean? Like I walked away from that night and went to bed on a high, not from the show, not from any pictures, just from the conversation. Absolutely, man. And there is a transference just in this conversation. Earlier, you mentioned that you felt really competent when you were D1 at your school and people were telling you, you have a knack for running. You're naturally <laughs> gifted at this thing and it elevated your competence, which elevated your confidence. And it sounds like this really did that for you as well. Do you think from that point on, you felt as if you had leveled up? 
to meet something in your mind or sometimes we stand in our own way a little bit when it comes to that. I would imagine you had already leveled up your process by then, but obviously that was validating, but I'm sure that in your mind, your perception that took you up another level, another notch. Yeah. I mean, it kind of felt like rom-com style, right? Walk the girl, the door, give her the kiss. And then you walk home and you're like walking on clouds. Like (laughs) that walk, that walk home is still the same walk. Everything about everything is still the same. But yeah, it does elevate you in a certain way. I mean, that next night took pictures with the same camera, did the same you know process flow of editing and getting the pictures out to the guys. That part didn't change, but what changed was the heart behind it, right? There was a little bit yeah. more fuel to the flame. I think one of the things I've taken away from the dashboard camp is to be the guy that builds other people up. I think what they've done within themselves, near them, close to them, is they take intentional moments to genuinely compliment people who are contributing to the overall process to show real appreciation. And I told this story on on Christy G's podcast, but it's so good that I almost tell it every time I talk to anybody about it is Chris was doing a show and it was the moments between the last song of the set and the first song of the encore and crowds go nuts. And he stopped and looked to his band and he just said, how lucky are we that we still get to do this? This is incredible. These people could have been anywhere tonight and it's a sold out venue. How lucky are we? And it was just so sobering that he had the perspective to think, to say that in that exact moment where the set was great, energy of the crowd was great. Show was going as well as you could have hoped, but he still took time to say, you know, we're lucky that we get to do this. Let's go out and continue to do the thing that we're doing. It's little things like that, that just carry on forever. You know, it it was was really cool. I love it when I see these people who seem larger than life when they're genuinely expressing gratitude for where they're at. You know, Mm -hmm. I think I experienced that similarly with Chris Caraba at Riot Fest when he came back. It was yeah. after he was doing Twin Forks and he had headlined this one stage. He played right after, I think it was Taking Back Sunday. But I mean, he literally looked like he was on the verge of tears and he expressed something similar to what you're saying. So I know he's yeah. grateful for being there, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I like that. And it's just cool to see that and be a small part of it. Yeah, Very it's, cool, man. it's cool too, because he'll tell it to you one-on-one or he'll say it to 5,000 people. A whole crowd? Yeah. Yeah. So what about shows these days? Are you able to enjoy them? I know in Tulsa, what are you doing primarily these days, transitioning away from being on tour and stuff? Yeah, so I do project management full-time. I work remote. I've been remote since before the pandemic, so I kind of got ahead of the curve on on that front. Yeah, Tulsa is a little weird spot, at least for tours. It's a B market, right? So you don't get all the things here. It's all The main guys came through last year on the XOXO tour when they put out the record. Yeah, so they came through. I'm going to Phoenix week after next to Endings Festival. Dashboard's going to be there. It'll be fun. And then I just got a handful of friends that, you know, are on tour coming through and, you know, go and give the fist bump from across the way. You know, pandemic era is, is nuts, you know, and everything is still kind of iffy. I just saw Coachella today. I don't know if you saw it. They lifted all of their mask mandates. They're, they're carrying on, you know, business as usual, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, that was to be expected. You know, somebody had to do it first and Coachella ripped that bandaid off. So that's that. But yeah, I mean, there's a handful of shows coming up that I'm I'm excited to see. Taking Back Sunday guys are going to be near in Oklahoma City on that Third Eye Blind tour. So that'll be fun to go see those dudes. Yeah. Got a friend coming out with Modest Mouse. It's kind of random, but cool. I'm going to go check that out. So there's a handful of things going on that it'll be fun to check out, but I've been enjoying, you know, 
being home with the kids and enjoying working on my fitness and dedicating myself to, you know, my job and being a dad at home and you know, all that. So it's been not been the worst thing in the world to kind of take a step back from the photography thing. I lived a lot of life. I've done a lot of great things. I've, I had all the fun. And if I had other opportunities in the future, I may entertain taking something, but on the whole, I am perfectly fine, you know, being a suburb dad, like everything about that appeals to me and and where I'm at in my life. So it's been cool, man. I I really can't complain one bit. It's been pretty awesome. Well, you've got a lot of life to live, my friend. There's a lot of cool things down the pipeline. You seem like a person that is always trying to grow and expand. And I was going to say, it's almost like your vision is narrowed. And then as time moves on, it widens a little bit. And then it becomes easier to be in a headspace where you're thinking, I don't care if I look foolish, if I ask a bunch of questions about these things I don't know, or these topics I don't know about, because I'm actually interested in learning. And that's more important yeah. than trying to give this facade that I know it all, or that I have all the answers and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think exactly. when you do that, just being a good example for your kiddos, you were mentioning earlier, trying to teach them wisdom. I'm in the same boat because Pamela, she has a couple of kids and I'm more or less a stepdad half the time when they're here. And sure. you, it's easy to second guess yourself as far as mm-hmm. the things you're telling them and the life lessons you're trying to instill in them. And you don't want things to be too convenient and easy and comfortable, but you also don't want, you know, to be a total drag <laughs> as well to be around. <laughs> yeah. You want to be cool and perceived as the cool person around them sometimes and a fun, nice person, supportive person to be around. So oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you're probably having fun. I would imagine you said your son's 12. Yep. And then you have two kids, right? You have a daughter as well. Yep. We got a daughter. She, uh, she just turned to seven in October. So she's uh, a great age. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a fun age. Yeah. Pamela's uh, daughter. How old are your, okay. Her son is 11, just turned 11 in November and her daughter just turned eight in January. So yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're shaping their identities and their personalities every day. And it's funny. I always thought he might be interested in music and I'd be showing him stuff, but I'm actually showing her more music stuff. (laughs) Nice. He's more into video games, but the other day I came downstairs and it was the first time something had gone just a little bit full circle. I'm a big John Feldman fan. I have been since my first Goldfinger record, you know, I'm John Feldman apologist for people that maybe don't like his style (laughs) or whatever, but she was blasting the new Avril song. Uh, and I, I had already heard it just because I was curious to hear it with John Feldman yeah. producing it and helping her record the record and everything. And I thought that was funny because I, it's just like the last thing I expected, but it comes full circle. It's uh, <laughs> my full circle. I guess we can end on this is my son. He's not so much into music. He's also into gaming, but he also does a ton of the coding stuff. And, you know, him and his friends have some kind of shared spaces that they do online where they code some game or whatever. He often will, if he's listening to anything, will be Fallout Boy. And okay. Take This to Your Grave was a great record for me, you know, in yeah. the early 2000s. And so it, it's it's wild to me that, you know, he's listening to them on like their second life of, as, as a band. So he likes more yeah. of the top 40 Fallout Boy the last 10 years mm-hmm. or so? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Take This to Your Grave was a really important one for me too. That was such a great usherance of all these amazing bands from the Field by Ramen era. And I remember seeing them play and we actually got to play a couple shows with them back in the day and on that oh, tour. Oh, really? Yeah, we played in Omaha, Nebraska at the Ranch Bowl. It was a bowling alley slash venue. And we played in front of 80 to 100 kids. It was snowing outside. It was December. It was maybe a couple months after Take This to Your Grave came out. 
And I remember meeting them all that night and they were all really cool dudes from Chicago. Yeah. I you know, conversed with them online and stuff. And we would, we would talk about exchanging shows in the Midwest and stuff before that. Yeah. I still listen to that record and it's just a flood of memories oh, from 03. It's still in my, it's still in my rotation, man. It's so good, man. It really is. When I hear bands like State Champs and Neck Deep, obviously they were influenced by them, but it's almost as if you have this album full of onslaught of good pop punk. I think of uh-huh. Around the World and Back and Life's Not Out to Get You. Those two records, I hear Take This to Your Grave and that a lot. We want to make a record as good. We're going to do our best to try to emulate yeah. that. And I think that's cool, but... I think uh, yeah, I, I always I always get down to some uh, four years strong. I think they do a really good job of just merging a lot of genres that a lot of people have always veered away from, you know, yeah. uh, in the way that they do it. But uh, I, yesterday's workout record was a uh, neck deep. You know, same thing though, right? Like they just kind of like take you back. That record could easily be twenty years old. Uh, I think it was it the Peace record or whatever it is. Yeah, um, the one after that one, the Peace and the Peace Panic. And the Panic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another great record. Yeah, and I just saw that Four Year Strong, their main support for the Sticks and Stones, Newfound Glory 20, 20 years tour. Man. Yeah, which is insane. Years. But that's a cool tour for them to get. I know they've toured with Newfound a lot, but that's really cool that they're taking them out. They, uh, if you listen to that band, that's the first act on there, Be Well. I have, and I really dig them a lot. I got a couple of photos somewhere in the archives with those guys. Cool. Awesome, man. Yeah, you've worked with a lot of people, man. It's not been a long time, but like, I guess it kind of has. And yeah, like in retrospect, it's just like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Kind of been a few. I would call it a short amount of time, but a wide variety of artists and bands. And as I mentioned, a lot of my favorites, I mean, you've worked with Thrice, Dashboard, The Main, Amberlin, Acceptance. And I know you're good friends with Ryan from Acceptance as well. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. We were, uh, uh, man, I'll reach out to him for you. We were going to do it a few weeks back. And this crazy thing happened. This was actually in December. It was the end of December here in Lawrence, Kansas. And generally it's very cold here in the winter season as you're experiencing the seasons now in Tulsa. But for whatever reason, it was 72 degrees this one random day. And anytime it's warm in the wintertime, it's also accompanied by wind. That's just the rule. It's warm. It's windy outside. So it was really windy outside. And we had part of our tree in our backyard hit a power line and we lost power for a few hours. Oh. And that was the night I was going to talk to Ryan. So we're still rescheduling, but yeah, he seems a great guy. Yeah. He Love seems bad. Well, cool, man. That guy. Dude, I appreciate you taking the time today. I want to be respectful of your time. This is really cool. This is illuminating, hearing about your process and everything. And yeah, I really enjoy your work. And where can people find you? Are you primarily on Insta these days? Yeah, that's my, I don't have a Facebook. So it's just Joe Ortega at Joe Ortega on Instagram. I was one of the lucky ones that got, I got my name as the handle. That's rad, man. Yeah. You were early on. You saw the writing on the wall. Instagram was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Early adopter. Yeah. It's cool. I, you know, it's uh, it'll be fun in the coming years of, you know, where music comes to Tulsa or anything that I can do. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, just be responsible, I guess, of my expectations of anything that comes through, but you know, every once in a while I get nostalgic and throw some, some old pictures up there and have some fun with it. So it's, yeah, yeah that's the only place I really, really do that these days. Yeah. Perhaps you could do a series where you highlight a band and do some of your favorite photos over the years or something. I would really enjoy yeah. seeing stuff like that. Yeah. I, I've, I've thought about doing, you know, a little book or something, you know, just, I have just so many pictures that, you know, just sitting on hard drive somewhere that would be fun to do something with. 
Yeah, cool. I would be game for getting a book of Joe Ortega photos too. That'd be rad. Perfect. Yeah, you got one sale. And I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that would really dig that. My mom would be another. I'm at least up to two. <laughs> there you go. That's all you need, man. Yes, right. Just two hardcore fans and you're good. You're golden. <laughs> this is fun. Maybe we could do a round two or something someday and highlight an old epitaph or fat records, nineties record and just do a deep oh, dive man. on it. Yo, do you want to do a no use? episode let me know I'm, dude I'm i would absolutely love to man i yeah i could talk for days about no use for a name so much fun uh, I've, got a, I've got a fun no use for a name story i'm gonna share at some point but yeah let's dude, do it if you do it let me know i'll I'll, okay. I'll be a friend of the podcast radical yeah that's awesome cool man well enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your week and enjoy tulsa and yeah i'll keep in touch i usually right. release these i've been doing them bi-weekly so okay i'll let you know yeah, All dude. Right. All right, cool, man. Well, I appreciate cool. the time, man. Good talks. Yeah, 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 for sure. Thanks again for doing it. Yeah, man. All right. Bye. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully, you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care, and I'll talk to you later. So close your